praise you, Jesus. We come to you this morning and we worship you. We thank you for the opportunity of meeting you in your word. Meet with us here. Remove from us those things that would distract us from you so that we will be able to know you better and therefore love you and trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Even non-Christians know this verse. Even non-Christians have heard it or they've seen it posted at a football game. And there's good reason why this is such a popular verse. This is good reason why most church kids learn this verse before any others. It's a really good sample. It's a really good synopsis of what the essence of what it means to be a Christian is. God so loved the world. God loved people. And people are sinners. We have all turned away from God. We have all gone our own way. And because of that, we are subject to the wrath of God. And because God loved us, because God wants to have a relationship with us, He sent His only begotten Son, His one and only Son, to the earth, to the cross, to bear that wrath for us. God the Father sent God the Son to take the wrath for us so that whosoever believes in Him should not bear that wrath themselves. That's the key. Whosoever believes in Him. The one who trusts the promises of God for us in Christ. Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death on the cross. And then God the Father raised Him from the grave to prove to everyone that everything that Jesus said has God the Father's amen. Everything Jesus did has God the Father's amen. And now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God and He is making intercession for us. He is praying for you, Christian, right now. And because this is true, because this is true, we will not perish. But I have a question. What does it mean when John says here, for God so loved the world? What is the world that John is talking about? Well, John in his letters and in Revelation uses the term the world in a few different ways. To keep it simple, the first way he uses it is just the planet. It's the rocks and trees, the mountains and seas. God loves the world. He created the world and it was good. Fair enough. Another way that Jesus uses the word world, or John uses it, is to talk about all the people. The people of the world. And I think that's what John is getting at here. But then we will also see later that he uses the term the world to refer to worldliness. It's this sinful tendency to be conformed, to be pressed into the mold of the culture which is anti-God. It is 
to experience or to love that which the world has to offer. But of course, if we say God so loved the world means he loves the people in the world, then we have to ask another question. Does God, in fact, love every man, woman, and child, regardless of whether or not they trust the promises of God for them in Christ? And the answer may surprise you. It is a qualified yes. For example, God desires all to come to repentance, 2 Peter 3.9. God has no pleasure in the death of the ungodly, Ezekiel 18.23. God calls everyone to sample his wisdom, Proverbs 9.2-5. God calls everyone to reason with him with regards to their sin and it being washed away, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And right here, as we get to John 3.16, we see it openly declared, God loves everyone. But God does not love everyone equally. Because God knows not everyone will respond. Everyone, every man, woman, and child, every when and everywhere makes voluntary, real, eternally significant choices. Choices that God the Father honors. Many, too many, refuse to answer the call of Jesus. Come unto me. All ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The correct response to John 3.16, the correct response to Matthew 11.28-30, and the correct response to 1 John 2.15-17 is to love Jesus. Love Jesus. And we're taking a one-week break from our study in Mark, and we're coming to this passage because it seems to me that worldliness Allowing ourselves to be conformed to the world is such a problem for the church today. As we get to 1 John, one of the things that we find is John gives a series of questions. He gives a series of tests. And these tests are designed to ask ourselves and to ask those who are teaching us, do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus, and does Jesus belong to you? And so, John gives these tests, and they're roughly wrapped around a theme, of the theme of our head, our heart, and our hands. John wants us to ask ourselves these questions. Do I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture? That is, our Head. And then he asks us the question, do we love God? Do we love our neighbor? And when we get to 1 John chapter 5, we'll see how he equates those. Do we love? 
And then, of course, our hands. Do we obey? Do we take the knowledge in our head and the love in our heart and put it to our hands and love those who are around us? Do we obey? And that's exactly what he's doing in John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. In verses 3 through 6, he's giving the test of obedience. Do you obey what you know you are commanded in Scripture? And then in verses 7 to 11 of chapter 2, John gives us the test of do you love? Do you love those who are near you? But now John is a great biblical counselor. And being a great biblical counselor, John knows that there are people like me who are going to go, oh, I don't obey like I should. I don't love like I should. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe the love of God has not been poured out upon me. And so we start to fret and stew. And so John says, relax. If you trust the promises of God for you in Christ, you are safe. You are loved. My friends, if you trust the promises of God for you in Christ, you are safe. And you are loved. Yes, you're not perfect. Yes, you disobey. Yes, you fail to love. Yes, Jesus knows that and He's got your back. But as I said... John is an excellent biblical counselor. And so what does he do next? He says, yes, you're safe. Yes, you're loved. But pay attention. Don't forget. Temptations are coming your way. Temptations are coming your way. And you need to continue to press on. You need to continue to fight. Which is why he gets to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Where he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, as we come to this passage, I need to make a confession. All my ministry life, just about, I have been interpreting one aspect of this passage incorrectly. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, you will see the temptation of Satan of Eve. And what do we see there? Eve is impressed by Satan's temptation. The tree is good for food, it's desirable to become wise and she wants to be you know in the know and so she falls and then when you get to Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4 Satan is tempting Jesus and Satan tempts Jesus turn the bread the stones into bread jump from the temple impress everybody and bow down and I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth and then I have said in the past, you get to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, and you see the same temptation. Now, I'm going to turn back from that. The point is still good. The point is that Satan doesn't need to be creative. Satan knows us. He knows how we tick. And he uses the same temptations. And, And I still think that's true. 
Satan desires nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. And whatever it takes to do that, he's good with. Use the same old ideas. Yep, we're good. But I don't think that John is self-consciously looking back at those two temptation episodes and applying them here. Instead, I think he is saying, pay attention. Pay attention. Yes, you're saved. You are safe. You are loved. Now, go and sin no more. Just like he said to the woman caught in adultery. How are we to do that? How are we to go and sin no more? Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you a secret. Only every preacher you've ever known has said this. This is how you love Jesus. You spend all your time, 168 hours a week, in the world. You, you, you can't escape it. It's like a fish in the water. You can't escape it. Except by going to his word. What do you expect? What ought you to expect by going to God's word? That you get to know him. Listen. I've said it before. I'll say it till I die. As you know God better, you will therefore love him and trust him more. How do you know God better? Preeminently, first and foremost, by going to his word. Love Jesus means going to his word. And it will take time. It will take time. It will take effort. You're going to get there and you're going, oh, this just doesn't make sense. Persevere. Get with other Bible-believing, Christ-honoring people and let them help you persevere. Persevere. It's going to take time because you're always swimming in the world. But persevere. Go to him because the better you know him, the more you will therefore love him and trust him. So let's turn to verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, the key word is obviously love. All right? Fair enough. But what does love mean? Love, as you've heard me say before, is the joyful willingness to sacrifice for the good of your near one. Love is the joyful willingness to sacrifice for the good of the one that you love. Now, I want to emphasize this because in our world today, love has been reduced to a feeling good about someone or something. You know, I love tacos because eating tacos makes me feel good. Well, that's not really what we're talking about. John Stott wisely tells us that love is the steady devotion of the will, of the heart. Love is not an emotion. Because, listen, listen to this. If you depend upon your emotions to power your love, you will love like the devil. If you rely or depend upon your emotions, your feelings, to empower your love for those who are near you, you will love like the devil. Now 
Love will bring powerful emotions. Make no mistake. Love will bring powerful emotions of all kinds. But you must choose to love. Okay, but then the question is, what does it mean to love the world? Do not love the world or the things in the world. So what does it mean to love the world? The love of the world is the love of all that the world can give to satisfy you. The love of the world is the joyful willingness to sacrifice for the good or for the benefit of all that the world has to give. What does that sacrifice look like? Well, it looks like running in place. It looks like climbing ladders. It looks like working, working, working so that you can get whatever it is that you're after in the world. Commonly, money, pleasure, and power. You're chasing after money because money can buy you stuff. You're chasing after pleasure in, in innumerable different ways. Or you're chasing after power because you want to control those who are around you. So you need to ask yourself, what ladders am I climbing? What am I seeking to win in chasing after money, pleasure, and powers? But there's even a more fundamental question than that. Who am I stepping on? What am I stepping on in order to climb this ladder? You might be stepping on your health. Drugs of all sorts. You might be stepping on your family. You're not giving your family the attention, the time that they need in order to achieve whatever worldly pleasure, power, or money you're trying to get. Who or what am I stepping on? What am I missing in order to get whatever it is I'm aiming at? Because you might get to the top of whatever ladder you're trying to climb and realize that that ladder's on the wrong wall. And Christian, Christian, you are safe and you are loved. You need to realize, Christian, this world is a perfectly safe place for you to be. You are in no ultimate danger. Let me say that again. This world, for the Christian, for those who trust in the promises of God for them in Christ, for you, this world is a perfectly safe place to be. You don't have to chase after the mirage of the world. You don't have to stockpile money and pleasure and power in order to give yourself whatever it is you're seeking. Because what you're really seeking, what you're really desiring, the good that you're actually aiming at is found only in Jesus. Let me get to that. John makes this clear. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I think it's obvious that the love of the Father in this particular case is our love for the Father. But then we have to ask ourselves, what is the love of the Father? If love is the joyful willingness to sacrifice for the good of your near one, the love of the Father is the joyful willingness to sacrifice, to get the benefit, to get the blessings, to get God's mercy and grace the mercy and grace of our Father in heaven. 
Okay, why do I say this? I say it because if you're chasing after the world, the money, pleasure, and power of the world, what you will find if you get those things is that they won't satisfy you as much as chasing after God the Father. Where you find the wholeness, the contentment, the peace that is found only in loving God the Father and loving those he puts in your path. Jesus makes this perfectly clear in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what do we need to do? We need to love Jesus. We need to love Jesus. So let's get really practical here for a moment. What might worldliness look like in your life? What are some questions you need to ask yourself so that you will know what worldliness might look like in your life? Worldliness means, worldliness is the sinful tendency to exclude God from your life. Worldliness is the sinful tendency to go about your life as if God doesn't exist, to conform to the world. What it means is that you're not concerned about what God thinks about how you eat. You're not concerned about what God thinks about how you work, how you raise your kids, how you spend your thought life, how you decide what to watch or read or think about. I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the church today that, you know, say their, their prayers at mealtimes. They might even read a chapter or two each day of the Bible, maybe. They go to church on Sunday. But actually considering what God thinks about how they should think about Facebook is beyond them. It's it's in another box. It's in another thought life. I don't, I'm not worried about that. I'm, I'm in this box now. And that kind of practical atheism is what worldliness is all about. And so the question you have to ask yourself, in what am I hoping? In what am I hoping? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you're in Facebook or when you're in another one of these boxes... Are you allowing at the back of your mind to be this thought, what, is, what does it look like to have God involved in this? What does it look like to be thinking about God in terms of this? And again, that's where being in God's word is absolutely essential because as you know God better, you will therefore love him and trust him more. So, busy mom... How are you investing time, investing thought into how you're going to get God's word into your life? Be creative. Might be something with your kids, and that's your devotion time today because that's all the time you've got. How about you, senior citizen? How are you going to get God's word in your life? Maybe what you're going to do is you're going to get involved in a Bible study. You're going to go for coffee with somebody and talk about the Bible. 
with them. And that's how you're going to get your devotion in. And that's going to be more than the busy mom does. But whatever it is, your time of life, do that. Because of 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now there's two ways of looking at this verse, and I'm going to hit this briefly. The one way of looking at this verse is the way I've done it all these years as a pastor, and, and looking and seeing three different things, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the life, and the, uh, the eyes and the pride of life, and seeing them as three different things, and cumulatively, that's what it means to love the world. But I've actually kind of changed, because when we look at temptations as a whole, Commonly, pastors have said there's three sources of temptations. There's Satan who, and his demons who directly tempt us, and I think that's a more real problem than many in America do. The second is my flesh, and this is what Paul is spending time on in Galatians 5 and Ephesians 6, among other places, and my own sinful tendencies. But then there's the world. And the world, I think, is this system. It is this this, this tendency to conform to things that exclude God. And that tendency tends to go to two things. And he, he describes it as the lust of the flesh. And then he says the lust of the flesh includes two things. The, the, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And, and these two things, the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of possessions is what trips us up. We are chasing after pleasure and we're chasing after possessions. Again, this doesn't affect everybody in the same way. But it does affect everyone. The love of pleasure. It could be sitting and watching TV or your iPad. It could be doing crazy adventures all over the place. It could be drugs. It could be food. It could be legal addictive stimulants at Starbucks or your favorite purveyor. Whatever it is, that pursuit of pleasure, if it is pursued without considering, where's God in this picture? How am I acknowledging Him? How am I obeying Him? How am I loving others? How am I using this to know God better? Those three tests that John keeps coming back to. If it doesn't include that kind of including God, then you're probably conforming to worldliness. You're probably going away from God. And the same is the pursuit of possessions. Now, possessions are not evil in and of themselves. We need to have money. We need to have a place to live. We need to have things, stuff, so that we can love others, so we can invite them into our home for a good tri-tip dinner, for example. The love of money is a root of all evil. It is not itself evil. Money itself is not evil, which we'll get to in a moment. And so, again, the solution is to love Jesus. Love Jesus as you're enjoying various pleasures, like seeing Tom Brady lose the Super Bowl, 
while you're enjoying pleasures, then you will also be able to enjoy Jesus because you're reflecting on him. You're thinking, how am I bringing glory to God and loving others while I'm enjoying this? Love Jesus. Pursue Jesus because of verse 17. Verse 17 says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, you may not think along these lines, but the Bible actually turns out to be a great investment guide. The Bible turns out to be the best investment guide. How do you invest your resources, your time, your talents, and your treasures in such a way as to get the most bang for your buck? And this is one of those passages because... He tells us, listen, don't love the world, love God. Why should you not love the world? Don't love the world, because if you do love the world, you're not going to be loving God. But then in verse 17, John makes it even more clear. He says, don't love the world, because the world is passing away. And this is perfectly clear. Jesus tells us, don't love the things that rust can destroy and thieves break in and steal. Don't love those things that even if you do manage to, to hang on to them, you will one day get so old you cannot enjoy them anymore. Gone. Instead, instead of investing in the world and the bad investment that is, pursue knowing God so that you can love him more and trust him more. That's what we see in Matthew 6, 31-34, where Jesus says, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not... Be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, if you want the best blue chip advice, if you want better than stock market returns, seek first his kingdom. And if you're seeking first his kingdom, if you are trusting him, if you are trusting his provision, then you can be absolutely convinced that he will provide for you everything you need to live a full and blessed, God-honoring life. Not necessarily that you'll have the best of everything. That's not guaranteed. Not in this life, at least. But if you know God and you're pursuing his kingdom, you will have what you need. You can trust him. But what about loving him? In loving him, we find in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, a trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, 
What is the solution? The solution is not to love money, not to continue to chase money, because if you're chasing money, pleasure, or power, you are going to find that your love for God is dried up. Do you wonder why when you pick up the Bible it just doesn't make sense to you? It's because you're not pursuing him. You're pursuing other things. And now, well, i got to take my vitamin pill, so I guess I'll read a chapter. That's not how to do this. And if you are finding the Bible boring, it's because you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention to Jesus. Instead, the solution is to love Jesus. Love Jesus Love him. Choose with a steady devotion of your will to joyfully be willing to sacrifice to get the benefits that God pours on those who trust him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, whosoever knows and trusts and lives according to his promise, shall not perish, shall not find their life empty because they can't get the satisfaction from all the things that they're chasing after, but they will have everlasting life. My friends, do not love something that cannot love you back. Love Jesus and you will receive from Him everything you were looking for from everything else you were chasing after. My friends, love Jesus. Oh God, we so desperately need you. We so desperately need to know you better and therefore love you and trust you more. God the Spirit, come and open our minds, open our hearts, and open our hands so that we will be the men and women of God that you have created us to be. And this morning, this morning, cause us to begin to reflect and think about what is hindering me from having this love and get us into your word get us into your word all by ourselves on our knees get us into your word as we gather with others individually and in small groups and get us into your word as we are joining the church as a whole so that we will rejoice because we know you better and therefore love you and trust you more in jesus name amen